you run it as a business, but you're also trying to keep the idea of being a family of, you know, people, even if your employees aren't family. Like if they've worked for you for a long time, I mean, we have employees that have worked for us for 10 years. We're all family at this yeah. point. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. So I had a career in radio for years and years, and now that I'm back in the farming community, it's interesting to see the people who really should probably have their own show. And this week's guest is totally that person, Andrew Eddy. This is part two of our conversation. He's a conversationalist, a communicator, and, and if you heard part one with Andrew, he what wanted to get away from the farm. He didn't want to do the whole farming thing. He wanted to be a journalist or in advertising or something like that, got his degree, but came back to the farm and, and realized that he loved the farm and the farming life and farming with his dad as a hay farmer in the Moses Lake area. But he still loves communication as well. So we get into that more this week. We talk about the difference between big farms and small farms. And we have a really good conversation about technology and some of the opportunities there, particularly in this state where we have such a great tech community and such a great farming community. And we talk about how the two just need to come together even more than they already have. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, a farm kid who, after many years working in an office job, came back to the farming community, and I just want to tell their stories. I want to share the stories directly from the real people who grow and put together the food that we eat here in Washington State. Take us through the process, just in a nutshell, start to finish, how you make hay for people who aren't familiar with what hay, because hay is dried grass or alfalfa, I guess. Alfalfa isn't technically a grass. It's what, a legume or something? Yeah, it's a legume. Um, so, of course, we'll take and uh, we'll seed it, yeah. water it, fertilize yep. it, yep. Uh, get it to grow. Um, typically, we'll get it to about a stage where hopefully get it to a stage where it's all standing up nice. Um, How tall? Kind of depends. Um, pretty much you try to look, you try to get in between bud and bloom stage for the most part, depending on what you're going for mm -hmm. um, and depending on what you want your cutting schedule to be. Because you could set your cutting schedule, but it all depends on what works for you. You know, some guys are some guys are 30 days, some guys are 32 day, 35 day. It all, it all kind of depends. Um, but typically you want it kind of before that, that bloom stage. Um, cause you kind of get a decent test out of it and stuff like that. So that's kind of where, you know, where that's at. So you go cut it. We go cut it. Let it sit there for a couple days, three, four, maybe five days. Depends on the weather. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's all grower preference too. Some people, and it all depends on the equipment too. Some guys run sickle headers on their, uh, wind rowers. Some people run rotary headers with single conditioners. So it only crimps it in one spot. Um, or so actually like kind of rolls. crimp the stem of the grass or alfalfa as it goes through? Yeah, yeah. So, tip, so of course, since it's a plant, you want it to get all the moisture out of it, right? So you'll take and you'll crimp it and you'll take and uh, um, 
pretty much squeeze the moisture out of it and just break it and do that kind of stuff. Um, or we even have machines that have double conditioners. So it'll take and go through two sets of steel rollers that are chevron shaped. Mm. So it'll take and feed it through and crimp all the stems and stuff like that. And so it kind of cracks them up a little bit so that up, the, moisture the moisture can get out. out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's all, it's all grow preference too. If you want to keep it, keep it tight or if you want to keep it spread out or anything like that. So, um, we'll, we'll lay it out flat. You, on the outside, when you're looking at a field and you drive by it and it's about ready to be raked and it's bleached across the top and you're like, wow, that stuff looks terrible. Like, what are they doing? As soon as it's raked up, it's nice and green underneath for the most part, depending so on how long you, it's sat there. So more color in the hay, the dry hay, even though it's dried out, it still has color in it. That shows there's more nutrients in it for the animals that are going to eat it? No, that all depends on that all depends on the test at the end yeah. when you take and, uh, take and do that. But it's just... The, the thing you want is you want those stems to be dry when mm-hmm. you go to bale it. You want those stems to be dry because if they're not dry and they get in the bale, they'll start probing, say, 15 to 20% moisture, 30% moisture, and then you run into um, heating up so it could combust. How does that happen? That's just natural process. It sits and it's packed all together, so it'll start kind of heating up and combusting, start making mold, and then it'll just kind of start creeping all the way out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's baled too wet, it'll combust. It's just because it sit there in that heat. In it's, that so, tight it's so it's so counterintuitive. You think if it's wetter, but I, I I mean I know that from when I was a little kid. I remember my grandpa had a barn fire from yeah. some hay that was baled too wet. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. So typically for us, we we try to shoot for, depending on what it is, grass. We try to get kind of a little drier. Um, so whether it's six to eight percent moisture in the bale, then that's about right. Um, but there's ways to tell too. So like with the alfalfa, especially you can sit there and scrape stems and if it scrapes off in your hands, it's too wet. Mm. So stem moisture is of course the biggest thing. There's a difference between stem moisture and dew moisture. Mm. So stem moisture, you're probably not going to be able to get stem moisture, you know, to dry out in the bale. Dew moisture, a little bit, depending on how much, you know, how much dew there is. If it's a heavy dew, if it's heavy soaker, it's like it just took a shower, then it's, it's probably too wet. You know, if there's a little bit of dew to help retain those leaves and everything on it that give the best feed value, then that's kind of what you what you shoot for. So typically with alfalfa, um, export percentage is twelve. Anything twelve percent or less, then that's exportable. So do you want it as dry as possible, or is there such thing as too dry? Too dry. There's or there's such a thing as too dry. Um, why why is that bad if hay gets too dry? Because this is all like a curing process, right? Like yeah technically it's drying but also like actually locking in the good stuff in the grass for the animal to eat yeah so if it's too dry it's pretty much just turns into sticks mm. all the all the leaves are knocked off of it there's nothing to hold that leaf on the plant so mm-hmm. it just it disappears you lose you lose that leaf and so it's all just kind of you know sticky it kind of seems like straw mm. same thing so you can bail it too dry for sure um and then you know a couple other things is just like um, we got some tractors pulling in, so that's always awesome. exciting. You know, um, I think this is the tractor that does the next step in the, in the process that we're uh, describing for, here. for grass. Yeah, yeah. Um, for alfalfa, we'll typically take and uh, so once uh, going back to it. Once, oh yeah, uh, we were talking alfalfa. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Uh, we'll we'll get to grass in a minute. That's a whole different beast <laughs> itself. Um, so typically, it'll lay there. We'll we'll rake it up um, and put it you know put it together, and then. Um, Take and bale it and take the uh, stack wagon, pick up the bales and put it in a stack in the corner and 
hopefully somebody comes and buys it. So, <laughs> um, it's all, it's all a challenge. Every step of the process is kind of a challenge, you know, um, getting it going and making it is a challenge, but also getting it sold is another challenge. So, and then grass, that's a whole different beast whole, I mean, completely different beast mm. is, you know, um, alfalfa, I hate to say it cause some people don't like it when I say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> is the fact that alpha you can kind of neglect alfalfa and it probably will still turn out mm. eh, decent yeah grass it'll let you know when you mess up and mm. even if you look at it wrong it'll let you know mm. like you can sit there and be like oh yeah that stuff looks good the next day you come by and you'll be like oh never mind like thanks you know so what happens it uh grass typically i mean if you over apply under apply fertilizer it's very responsive to it so it'll brown out it'll not it'll look kind of sick lighter color um things like that. Um, or when you go to bale it and it happens to be too wet, then, you know, you're, you're kind of hose there. Cause I mean, even with Timothy, so, uh, the Timothy plant itself, you know, they're 18, 18 to 20 inches tall, at least depending on what, you know, what variety and all that kind of stuff. Um, plus growth stage and when you want to cut it. Um, so, the knuckles on it are what holds the most moisture in the stem. Mm. So if your knuckles aren't dry, then you're you're going to be having a problem. So you try to get those knuckles as dry as you can um, and then bale it up. And we've even seen where, you know, especially with grass, you start baling it and you're like, oh, the moisture is good. It's all like 8%. Well, if the stems aren't completely cured the next day, I guarantee it'll probe double. Mm. It can grow probe 15 to 16% wow. within a day. You know, there's a sweating process. So... You know, you got to kind of factor in for that. But so, what's the point of making hay, whether it's alfalfa or grass? Why, why don't they just feed the green stuff? It's basically to be able to store it. it it's yeah. super old-fashioned yeah. process, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a storage technique, pretty much for the transportation. So, I mean, you can do silage. You can do you know, you can chop alfalfa. They do it all the time. Problem is, you're hauling a lot of water. It's not economical to take it, you know, take it to the dairy when you're paying for a bunch of water. That's the nice thing about dry hay is you're paying for actual feedable product. You're not yeah. paying for water that you're never going to use. Well, and I've had it explained to me, even here on this podcast, we were talking with Larry Stapp, a dairy farmer back in western Washington, and he talks about, you know, people asking whether or not his cows are grass-fed. And he says, well, sure they are, but what do you think— we feed them in the wintertime when they can't be out eating grass in the field and it's just mud and rain yeah. or snow. Yeah. Well, that's hay or silage. Yeah. So this is, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, it's, it's a, it's a product that could be used at any time. That's the nice thing is. Plus the other thing is if we just did, you know, if we just chopped it, we have a limit on our customers. Right. Yeah. So that's you the can't nice ship thing. It, you can't ship it across the globe that way. Right? Well, you could. You're just not going to make anything, and yeah. they're probably not going to want it and pay what you want. It's not going to be feasible. You know, it's not going to be feasible. So, um, you know, there's always a possibility for everything, but it's not completely feasible in an economic sense. So, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, we can take the nice thing about, especially here in Eastern Washington, is the fact that we can take and stack it up in a corner, stack it in a stackyard, put a tarp over the top. Eight months later, when they get, you know, say eight months later. When snow starts flying, they can come grab it. Guess what? It still has the same feed value as it did mm. within a few little, right. you know, caveats. But it's the same no matter what. Do you love it? Farming? Farming? Making hay? 
I ba- enjoy it. Battling the weather. I enjoy it. Um, I think I've kind of diversified, kind of not really diversified. Um, I've got a bunch of different fish in the fryer, so to speak. Um, so I actually, I like it because I can actually show, especially through social media and then just stuff I'm doing every day. Like I can show what I'm doing. I can show the interesting side of farming. I can show kind of what we do and what I find interesting, you know, like even, even like I stated in that video and I've talked to a couple other people on social media, they're like, I don't know what to post. Like, what do, what do I show? Everything I show is boring. And I go, yeah. it's boring to you. Because you do it every day. <laughs> but yeah. it's probably not boring to somebody else. Or yeah. the other things it does, it does one of two things. It shows, hey, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. I never knew that. I want to learn more. Or B, hey, here's another way to think about it. Like, have you tried this or have you done that? Or, you know, it, it even does a third thing where, can I come see how that works? Like, yeah. can I, I want to come and do that. Can I, can I just come by? Yeah, you can come by anytime, you know. I mean, as long as you know you're civil and you're not trying to, you know, oh, GMOs are bad. Oh, you know, right. this and that. You're not going to start a little, you know, protest. Uh, it might be a little bit of a buzzword there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, come come out. See what we do. Yeah, and that's for a lot of people who aren't around farming. That's what they know is they know the, like, controversy points. Right. And, yeah, we can all talk about that and the pros and cons and everybody will take their positions. But you have a job to do every day. Yeah. And it's not just all about the controversial social media talking points. No, and that, and I think that's the thing is like I, I think I've got to the point where I like showing what we're doing. You know, um, some things, of course, I'm not going to show, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to show you my books. I'm not going to show you <laughs> yeah. my, well, that's, you know, shouldn't be. things like that. Yeah, but even I, I even have, I mean, kind of going off on a, another rant apparently um, <laughs> just in my head right now is like, some people don't like to tell how many acres they, they farm. Yeah. I get it. You don't want to sound like you're, you know, woo, you know, yeah. some big old, you know, thing. But at the same time, who cares? If somebody asked me, hey, how many how many acres do you farm? I'll I'll tell you. Yeah. I it's not it's not a big head thing. It's I, you can be ten acres or you can have ten thousand acres. It doesn't really matter. How you handle yourself shows everything about who you are. You know, if you're 10,000 acres and you act like you have 10,000 acres and you're better than the 10-acre farmer, <laughs> then why? But it, everybody's the same. Some people feel like, though, the 10,000-acre farm is, can't be good because it's so huge, it's unmanageable, and it's lost touch kind of with the human element. Is that true? I'm going to put a little disclaimer in there and say it depends. Hmm. It depends on who the farm is and what the farm is. But at the end of the day, we all have one goal, right? We want to grow something for the world. We, I mean, real food, real people, right? We, <laughs> we want to, we want to grow something that makes a difference. Yeah. We're not, we're not here to harm the environment. We're not here to, you know, sway people and say, Oh, you know, you're going to buy from our big corporate farm. <laughs> like, no, everybody that works for that farm that makes it what it is, is a human. They, they do those things. Like, they're they're there. Are they making money? Sure. But it's a business. So is everything else in this world. Well, sometimes they're making money. Sometimes. Some, <laughs> it, sometimes they're losing money. Back to your casino analogy. Yeah, sometimes. But I, I think that's the biggest thing is like, you know, and some people are like, oh, man, you, you know, 
you spend a lot of time on social media or you spend a lot of time making like marketing materials and things like that. I go, yes, because that's, that's what I like to do. But at the same time, it's not to make it seem like farming is just this small little, like I said earlier, you know, I'll, you know, I'll grow the crops. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, um, it's not just a bunch of backwoods people. Like it's people, you know, and I think that's the thing about farmers is the fact that um, you have to take and be an accountant be a banker be uh you know stuff like that i mean you know you got to be everything in order to make it work so i think that's kind of the you know the biggest thing is it's not just somebody sitting there you know in a tractor it's not just a butt in a seat it's if you're if you're going to be a grower and you're going to be a farmer you got to know how to do a wide range of things so what do you think people should know about what happens with growing their food or I guess in this case, food for their food, which is what you guys do, right? Grow hay for a beef animal or a dairy animal that's going to produce what they eat. One step removed, but regardless, people are concerned about where the food comes from and who are the people behind it. I think they need to know that, like, we we try our best to not, we, we try everything to get the product to be the best that it can be for you know for their animal or things like that like we do put herbicides down we put fungicides down we put all this other stuff but they're not harmful if they're used in the correct way we follow labels we consult with our agronomists we consult with our buyers and things like that like we're not doing anything intentionally to hurt an animal so another another thing with alfalfa too that can be a problem is if the nitrate levels are too high mm. so you know nitrates are toxic cows if they're above a certain level we pay attention to those. So if we have a stack that tests high nitrates, we're going to be like, hey, you, I wouldn't feed it to. Right. I wouldn't feed it to your cows. Or I wouldn't feed it to this. Or I wouldn't feed it to that. Or in small amounts. Like, we're not intentionally going through and trying to cause issues. Or, like I said, ruin the environment or thing like that. Like, we're actually pretty good stewards of the land. Whether we do no-till or the fact that, especially for us... Um, all our forages are perennials. They come back every year. We don't have to work the ground. We don't have to do anything like that. Like, it's there. We plant it once. We run it for three, four, five years. We even have a Timothy stand that's 12 years old. Mm. And we've never worked the ground. And that's the thing is we're conserving topsoil. We're conserving nutrients. We're conserving, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. And, you know, we're doing less. We're doing less but producing more. And I think that's the biggest thing right now, especially is like, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, there's, you know, there's not enough crop or this or that. Well, we're producing more on a smaller amount due to herbicides, fungicides, all these chemicals that you're saying, oh, well, they're terrible. They're bad for you if you use them in the wrong way, but we're getting more out of less. And it's not, you know, it's not causing really too many issues. How important is soil health to the way you guys farm? Soil health is huge. We don't have soil health we don't have a crop right so that's the biggest thing is like soil health is probably one of the most important things that we deal with yeah we can grow a crop but if the soil's not right we're not doing ourselves any favors we're not doing the you know the ground any favors so you know there there's a certain point of course that you your return on investment for fertilizers or things like that there comes a point where you're not going to be making any money, but if you can build up all that, then you're, you're in a good spot. You can take and, 
you grow the crop and you keep giving it back, keep giving it back, then it'll keep growing a crop for you. You know, you can sit and mine it out. You could, you know, on lease contracts, you, you know, sometimes people take and mine out all the nutrients and don't put them back. Mm. And then, so the next grower has to come along or the landowner has to come along and try to build the soil back up where it was and it ends up costing an arm and leg to do it. So soil health is huge. So it sounds like that's not your philosophy to just take the nutrients that are there and run. No, I mean, it's, yeah, it has I will to be more sustainable than that. I will say sometimes it does happen. I mean, and it, it's, it's not on purpose. It's not like, you know, we say, oh, we're just going to, you know, screw this guy over. Like that's, that's not our mantra. Um, the biggest thing is getting, getting it to produce where we, we can grow a sustainable crop on it and make money. And that's the thing, or try to make money. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I think, I, yeah, it's, it's a toss up too, because how much, how much is too much and what is not enough, you know? So where's that, where's that happy medium? Where can, where can we be that we, we give back enough, but we also, uh, you know, keep our, you know, our costs in check, um, and can make it back with the crop that we're growing for the stuff we're putting in. So, um, I think, yeah. I, I mean, soil's the, the basic thing that a plant needs to grow. I mean, one, yep. one of the most important pieces, yep. of course. Yep. So if it doesn't have a hospitable place to live, it's not going to grow and you're not going to be happy. R&H Farms, what does that stand for? Really, or, 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 really nice hay. Really? Yeah. Or for 2020, it's really nasty hay. Oh. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so when we, when we first started, it was actually uh, it was rock and hay. So, um, we have a lot of rocks and we grow hay. So it was rock and hay, but it uh, sounds like rocks in the hay. You got when you it. say that you got it. So oh, we had some okay. customers come back and say, yeah, is there rocks in the hay? And I'm going, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, you know, we shortened it. We're like RNH farms, like, and we, we just kind of came up with the joke, like really nice hay and yeah. depending on the yeah. year, really nasty hay. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I always tell people that I'm like, yeah, it, really nice hay. Um, so it could be it's double meaning, but we kind of got away from the rock and hay because it just rockin' as rock n as in like it's rockin', like you rock this hay. It's like R O C K, <laughs> the letter N apostrophe H A Y. Like, <laughs> got it. So literally, like for you know, for a culture that is a direct, like they hear something and it's a direct translation, like mm-hmm. it's straightforward that's and true and because you're you're having people buy this from speaking yeah. all different languages yeah. across the globe and they're like uh what are you talking yeah about? direct translation is like oh you know rock and hay oh well there's rocks in it no 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 <laughs> we hope not but um no like the yeah the portion that we live in is is very there's there's a lot of calcium deposits we'll just say that um <laughs> No, there's there's a lot of rocks, and we've we've picked our fair share amount of rocks to get it to be farmable. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the first initial one that was came up with, and then we phased that out into <laughs> R and H farms. Yeah. Um, so and and you know we're we're working towards more and more. Um, we're working towards more and more um, kind of advocacy um, mm-hmm. for what we do and kind of our our brand. I mean, yeah. you know, people are like, oh, what do you, why do you spend, you know, like we kind of talked about, why do you spend so much money on, you know, marketing materials or hats or, you know, stuff like that? I go, because it's a brand that, you know, I want to grow. That's the thing. It's like, it's a brand that I'm proud of. So let's, 
let's grow it. Let's, Stan- it stands for something. Yeah, it, it means something to me. So yeah. where can I take that? Like, what can I what can I make that into? And I think that's kind of the the marketing advertising side of you know my background is it's it's taking something and how do we build it? How do we how do we build it up? How do we grow it? And it's not just grow it just for the publicity. It's not just grow it for anything like that. But it's it's a recognizable thing. And like I said earlier, is like some of the overseas buyers are like, we want to see R and H Farms first. Do they have any good stuff? Like we know that they make good stuff, and it, it's just a sense of pride. Like it, it gets you to kind of bubble up inside, and be like, yeah, we we made that. And then you know sometimes we got to tell them, no, you know, <laughs> guess not. Like we don't have anything probably. But you know, the the biggest thing, especially with the agricultural community, is the fact that like it's built on relationships, and that's the thing. And I think that's one of the other things that I enjoy the most is its relationships, is building that community um, and building that brain trust for. Uh, um, what we got going on. So you can pull from different, different places and be like, okay, well this worked for him. Let's tweak it a little bit and then we'll try it. Or no, we're never going to do that again. Cause it has never worked and this and that, you know, the old mentality, the old farmer mentality is the fact that I tried it once 25 years ago. It didn't work. So I'm never trying it again, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's the thing. And I, I, I get it. You know, everybody gets comfortable. It goes back to talking about being, you know, in, inside a comfort zone. Well, but, but if you tried it that way 25 years ago and lost your shorts on it, you'd right. have a lot of motivation to not do that again. Right. But you got to keep an open mind. But yeah. And that's the thing is like, there's agriculture is constantly evolving. Right. And one thing about agriculture that is kind of interesting is the fact that tech is in agriculture, but it's about four or five years behind where tech is everywhere else. Mm. Grain, you know, and stuff like that. Technology is through the roof. For forages, eh. mm. you know, it it's there, but it's not as prominent. So that's Why the is thing. That? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if it's just the fact that like forages are kind of the redheaded stepchild. I mean, I mm. hate, yeah, I hate, hate to do that little, you know, analogy, <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of how it is. It's like, it's, it's just kind of the backseat, but interestingly enough, so alfalfa is the number three um, top grossing uh, product in the world behind wheat and corn. It's like, okay, well, why are we not getting more recognition, exactly. right? And if you actually look, so uh, the National Alfalfa and Forage Alliance puts, get, puts together a thing. So the, so the big five, so wheat, corn, soybeans, um, I think like a tree fruit and something else, and then alfalfa. Out of those... The research funding for alfalfa is one-fifth the size of that for wheat, corn, and soybeans. It's like, why? Art, hmm. we're up here, like our, you know. We need to get on that here in the state. Washington is full right. of tech. Right. 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 Hey, if anybody in but, Seattle who's in tech right. is listening and is looking for an opportunity where they could really yeah. be a game changer... Believe it or not, it could be in farming. Well, I, I, I probably a lot of people in that world don't necessarily think of farming, just like a lot of farmers don't necessarily think about tech. Right, right. And I and I think that's that's also one of the biggest you know challenges too is especially in like a smaller community is like, you know, people always question us like, well, why do you use GPS in your swathers? You can't just sit there and drive. I go, we could, but I go, I've cut down. I mean, even on our machines, we've cut down probably an hour or two at least of cutting time because we're using GPS. Yeah. How much fuel does that save then? Too? A whole lot. Like yeah. probably, I mean, 12 to 15 gallons an hour per machine. Yep. 
So here we are. Operator fatigue goes down. The amount of money that you pay for labor, fuel, equipment costs, hours of uh, hours of depreciation on that mm -hmm. piece of equipment. Yep. Like there's a whole bunch of factors and it's like the investment for it, sure, it's a little costly up front, but you start spreading that out and you're like, I got to figure it out. It's like, worth it. It's worth it for sure. And so... It's not just a cool thing to make sure your rows are perfectly straight. Right. Which, I mean, or in I all, guess you guys in are, all honesty. You're in circles. We're in so. circles. But still, but still, it's it's a whole lot different when you look at, I mean, even when our guys go to a field and they're like, hey, did uh, somebody not cut this with GPS? And I go, no. <laughs> they got to sit there and kind of go back and forth. But, you know, even hey, like. I planted corn through, through college. That's how I paid yeah. my way through yeah, my yeah. university degree. And doggone it, I could plant some straight rows. That's right. Yeah. I'd give those GPS guys a run for their money. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say. All right. Let's let's see what I've, you got. I've run GPS tractor enough a few times right. to know that. No. <laughs> well, you can you can come out here again. We'll we'll have a part two of this um, <laughs> from the from the cab, and we'll see how you do. Um, no, I I think that's the that's the biggest thing is like there's a little bit of a disconnect between tech and ag overall as a whole um, for forages especially. I don't know if it's just because there's not there's not a big push. So I don't know if there's just a bunch of smaller growers, you know, that are yeah. like, oh, I don't want to adopt tech or I don't want to do this or I don't want to, I don't want to cater to, you know, big tech. <laughs> well, guess what? Like you're going to have to get it. I go, do you have, you know, you have an iPhone in your pocket? Yeah. Well then guess what? You're already there. Like they know everything about you. So it really don't matter. Like, you know, so I think, I think there's going to be a shift here in the next little while um, that tech is going to be. A bigger part i just don't know in what capacity i remember a couple of years ago um canute berger with crosscut in seattle and kcts public television came up to do an article on some farms in whatcom county so i i met with him and we were hanging out and i was taking him around to some farms and and that was the thing that he said once he saw something like he saw the robotic milkers right that dairies were using and some of the gps stuff and things that they were doing on like improving um potato varieties and things like that because they do seed potatoes back there and he's like there needs to be more of a nexus between yeah. all of our tech community in seattle in the city and what you guys are doing in farming. So yeah. he, he was saying exactly the same thing. But on the other hand, though, I'm wondering if it it all comes down to money, right? It costs money. That's and it's not thing. like farming is high margin kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. No, we just make, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go home and hop in my Lexus. And yeah, right. Lexus. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, my expensive seat, that's how out of touch it is. Yeah. Um, you know, um, but I, I think, you know, it, it's all, I mean, it's all driven by money, of course, you yeah. know. So, yeah, I mean, you probably be able to do it eventually, but when's it going to happen? You know, there's a lot of tech coming yeah. out that, you know, we could talk about that I know a little bit about that product guys know a little bit about, but it's going to be a little bit before it gets here. Yeah, it, It's not going to be here, you know, instantly. It takes time. I mean, I get it. You know, even even we work with a software company that we keep track of all our stuff and inputs, outputs, contracts, all this stuff. Um, people are a little, you know, uptight about that kind of situation too. Is like, oh, you know, you're working with you're working with them. Like it's costing you a whole bunch of money. Yeah, but guess what? It makes my workflow easier, mm -hmm. and it gives me all my data that I want. Like I'm kind of just a a data nerd. Mm -hmm. So like I'll be like, oh yeah. Yeah, I, I like, you know, Oh, then you numbers. can actually know what works and what doesn't right? based on changing your practices. Right, and that's the thing is, like, 
um, I kind of know where, where things are at. I know, you know, you got the, you got two styles of farmers. You got the super old farmers. Um, they don't have to be old in age, just old style. Old thinking. Yeah. Flip open their pocket, but be like, oh yeah, got it. You got the new style, the younger generation. Oh, let me just whip out my phone. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> you know, it's all right here. And it, yeah. I even, I even run into that, you know, between me and my dad It's like, Hey, yeah, I got it on my phone. Well, why don't you write it down on that piece of paper for me? So I know. And I'm like, you're going to lose a piece of paper. Like I have my yeah. phone with me. Like, <laughs> yeah, it could crash. I could lose all of that, but you know, it's fine. Um, it's backed up to the cloud, right? Yeah. Um, so hey, <laughs> smartphones have changed farming in right? so many. I mean, that would be a whole nother episode right? to talk about. Let, even just let me that. know. We'll just talk about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think, uh, I think it's, it's changing, but it's also getting the mentality of we're not just backwoods. Farmers are not dumb people. Don't get me wrong. There's, you know, certain well, there's few. dumb people but anywhere there's dumb, you go. Yeah, there's dumb people everywhere. But you know what I mean? Like, we're not just, like, backwoods fly by the seat of our pants, like, yep. just get it done. Like, there's actually a lot of thinking that goes into it. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest thing is, like, people are like, oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that you had to cover the acres four times. I thought you just cut it once, like wheat. Or I thought, you know... I thought it was pretty easy. Like you just cut it and then a day later you'll rake it or a day later you'll just bale it. Yeah. You'll be done. I mean, I even has to, I even had a guy ask, he goes, well, did you bale this field all in the same direction? And I'm going, no, <laughs> I go, cause there's a pivot in the way. So we got to go, you know, opposite direction with two different yeah. machines, three different machines, whatever. Like, no, you know, and it's some of the questions it's like, Okay, this is pretty basic. Oh, it's basic for me. So I think that's the that's the other biggest thing is I like sharing. I mean, as you can tell that I've talked, you know, this entire time. Um, but <laughs> normally uh, that's my gig. Yeah, I know. I've been a professional uh, <laughs> talker for a long time. So uh, you keep keep farmers cooped up in the tractor cabs for too long. This is what you get. Um, you know. So that's uh, that's the other thing is like with communicating about things is the fact that like we can show, hey, here's what we do. Here's how things are different or similar. But like, like we were kind of talking about earlier is the fact that you can go from here and go down the road to a different farmer about the same size. They'll do things, some the same, some completely different. It, it all depends. But guess what? At the end of the day, we're doing the same thing, right? You know, we're, we're trying to run a business and grow a business. Um, and I think the biggest thing especially is like, you run it as a business, but you're also trying to keep the idea of being a family of, you know, people, even if, you know, even if your employees aren't family, like if they've worked for you for a long time, I mean, we've, we have employees that have worked for us for 10 years. We're all family at this yeah. point. So I think that's the, that's the biggest thing, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting world we live in for sure. The agricultural world is definitely one big family. And, you know, kind of the last thing I want to touch on is like yesterday um, I was sitting at home and, you know, I saw a, a, happened to see a post from another farm down in Nevada. And it was like, hey, you know, we only get two shots at this. Wheat growers get one shot. Dryland guys get one shot. You know, things like that. Like how how are we adapting to what life is throwing at us? You know, reach out to those people and be like, hey. How's it going? Like, how, how are you doing? I understand the weather's not good, but like, what's, what's going through your mind? How, how can I help you? Like, can I just, you know, can I stop and 
say hi. Can I have a cup of coffee with you? Can I talk with you for two and a half hours or however long we've been here? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, I think it's all just one big family. I think that's the best thing is like grow a community that you want to be a part of. You know, surround yourself by people that make you better. Don't sit there and, you know, just sit behind the screen and, oh, my life is terrible or this or that. Like, spread joy. You know, don't don't sit there and create drama. Like, spread joy. Make things the way – make the world the way you want to see it. Like, make it a good place. Yeah. You know, so. But, yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. Oh, of course. Of I course. appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. It's, it's pretty fascinating all that goes into it. And I know we're just scratching oh, the surface. Oh, we're but... completely just scratching the surface. We probably talk for another two, three, maybe four hours, you know, <laughs> hit that happy hour, uh, happy hour groove. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, like I said, I, I enjoy telling, telling the story and it's not just, it's not just me, you know, and, and that's kind of another thing is you see one person from somewhere, you know, and, and especially on social media, you don't get introduced to the person behind the camera too often. Right. Um, so how do you share your story for how you fit into the operation? You know, um, I can't do it all by myself. There's no way. Um, well, that's why I'm going around the state to capture right? stories from people like yourself. Right. So I think, um, yeah, I think, I think it's big. It's, it's telling, telling your story, but also telling the story of, you know, what you're doing and where, you know, where you're at. Like what, what do you want to share about, your operation or your personal life or things like that. Like it's, it's huge. And I think we have a good opportunity, but are we going to waste it? And you know, if people criticize the way you do things, are you just going to backlash and be like, Oh, well you're, you know, you're dumb. You don't know. You've never been on a farm. No. Hey, come out and see. Like, I'm happy to talk to you. I'll be civil. Like I'm not going to sit and, you know, you know, just be like, oh, well, you know. And they can you're re- dumb. They can reach you anytime on social media too. Yeah, and from that's, wherever they are. And that's the thing is like, what's your handle, by the way? Uh, people follow. The, uh, the f- so on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's just RNH Farms. So, okay. um, and then yeah, it's uh, it's good, it's good. That's the farm, and then the personal one is just Andrew at RNH Farms on Twitter. Awesome. And Instagram, but I. I kind of post more on the the farm side. I kind of treat that as my own kind of personal yeah. personal showcase. So, um, yeah, it's pretty good content. It's good community. You know, kind of great great stuff. Thanks for doing it. Of course. Thanks for chatting. Of course. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Okay, so we talked uh, a little bit earlier there about technology. Are you, any of you in the tech world looking for an opportunity, want to apply the skills and the knowledge and the experience you have to creating something that helps farmers grow food more efficiently or better somehow? Reach out to me. Uh, you know, I can see if I can find somebody and, and hook you up and let's get this conversation started. That's what I feel here in Washington. I, this is such a huge opportunity that is, I think, in a lot of ways untapped since we have so much talent here in both the technology and the farming world. Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org is my email address. So if you have an idea, shoot me an email or, you know, Hit me up on social media uh, at RFRP underscore podcast is our Instagram handle as well as our Twitter handle uh, RFRP podcast on Facebook. So follow all of those subscribe on YouTube as well. You can see this interview 
on YouTube and watch the whole thing. We were recording there in a field, if you could hear some of the background noise. We were just out in the middle of a hay field, and you can actually see what it looked like on the tailgate of Andrew's truck when we did that uh, conversation a few weeks ago. Thank you for being here and supporting the Real Food, Real People podcast. We certainly could use your support to help spread the word about the podcast, get more people subscribing, following along as we try to grow this conversation to include as many people as possible to reconnect our food system uh, from those of us who eat and those of uh, those who grow the food that we eat, who, who are actually behind the food, grow it, process it, package it, truck it. You know, we haven't had a trucker yet on the podcast. That I should I should do that. Those people are a big part of our food system and making sure we have something to eat and keeping our food local rather than potentially shipped in from who knows where. Again, realfoodrealpeople.org is the website. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Thank you so much for supporting and listening along. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming. Giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.